Hello and happy Monday, my friends. This is Amy Lee San Juan, and I'd like to welcome you back to another enlightening episode of Cisco Champion Radio, where we cover topics across the Cisco portfolio to give you the insights you want and need. Today, we are talking about what's new with SD Access, and to help us navigate the conversation, we have an exceptional cast of Cisco Champion hosts and a phenomenal Cisco expert. All right, so let's get started with the introductions. Jonathan, we'll start with you. Tell us more about who you are and what you do at Cisco. Hello, my name is Jonathan Cuthbert, and I am a technical marketing engineer in Cisco's intent-based networking group, and I directly support software-defined access. I've actually been supporting, architecting, and even working with SD Access since 2017. And beginning in 2018, I also added to that, and I began writing about and producing collateral for SD Access. And I am the author of the three current SDA CVDs or the Cisco Validated Designs. Very impressive. Okay, I'm going to go in alphabetical order now. So, Artem, tell us about yourself. Yeah. Hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Artem Tkachev. I am infrastructure manager at StoneX. Um, well, driving two teams and one of them networks. And, um, well, dealing with the network stuff, um, troubleshooting, implementation, architecting, all this are with me and uh, happy to join you all. You can find me on Twitter, just use my name and surname. Dan Kelcher, who are you? What do you do? Hi, I'm Dan Kelcher. I am a senior network engineer with Sleep Number. So uh, my job is basically making sure that all the, the blinky lights blink like they should. And lots of fun. Very cool. Dan Sheldon, last but not least, what do you do? Hey guys, I'm Dan Sheldon. I'm a senior consulting systems engineer here with Worldwide Technology. Been here a little over four years, um, focused mostly on network and security design and uh, sales for Fortune 15 oh, or so. Fortune 10 yet? Fortune uh, 5? Yeah, well, <laughs> Fortune 12 is still on the list, so it's tough okay. to get tough to get less than that. Um, and uh, my Twitter is uh, Sheldon Climbs. All right, Jonathan, turning it back to you. Uh, help us lay the foundation here. Can you give us a bit more background and context on today's topic? Absolutely. Today we're discussing a quick start software-defined access. But you know, your first question may be this, what, what is software-defined access? What makes it up, right? So we have three, ma three main solution components. We have automation and analytics, or what we sometimes refer to as assurance. We have identity and policy, and then we of course have our innovative, innovative hardware and, and software. And these are provided by Cisco DNA Center, the Identity Services Engine, and the device platforms. Of course, that's the routers, switches, wireless LAN controllers, and the access points. And you put all of those together, and what do these components enable? What are the core business use cases? Segmentation, visibility, and trust. And that's all provided through this turnkey automation through Cisco DNA Center. So that gives you the background a little bit of what software-defined access is, if you haven't heard of it before. So that begs the question, Okay, what is Quick Start SD Access? Well, here's your challenge. You're a customer and you want to evolve your infrastructure to be more modern and even more secure. But of course you want to do this in an automated fashion. It's 2021 after all. You know, you might be in the middle of a refresh cycle, considering a refresh cycle, or maybe you just finished a refresh cycle where you only have refreshed some of your key or core components. What do you do? How do you achieve this transformation or this transition without causing lots of major disruptions to your users and to your business itself? And of course, most importantly, how do you maintain capability and compatibility during that migration? And that's where Quick Start SD Access comes in. 
And what we've done is we provided multiple starting points along this journey to achieve those goals and these incremental steps that you follow along the way. So the idea is this, this approach lets you start from what you have right now, where your network is today, and to end where you want it to be tomorrow, each step along the way, adding further benefits in that journey path. And uh, basically this is made possible through several key enhancements that we've added to SDA. Uh, we have new segmentation capabilities and we have new deployment flexibilities. I know it's a very fun way, it kind of rolls off the tongue there. So. Let me tell you what that means. Uh, with SD Access, we started with secure segmentation. And what we did is we segmented the network into individual routing and switching tables, and then we segmented the users within those groups. Maybe you've heard those referred to as micro and, um, excuse me, macro and micro segmentation respectively. Um, and here's what we found. We found that micro segmentation or group-based segmentation was not always well understood. Uh, the customers weren't ready to use it. And you might think to yourself, well, was it a technical challenge? No, it was a visibility one. Customers didn't know what they had on their network. So they didn't even know how to use groups. So they needed a way to view their devices and view the traffic and to use that visibility to derive some new um, policy-based rules. So we took SD access, we took secure segmentation, and we added endpoint and group analytic capabilities. But if you want to do things at speed and at scale with the greatest stability, you want writing protocols all the way down to the access layer. However, some customers weren't ready to move to that. They're not ready to move to layer three routed access. So we gave you the ability to do layer two switched access networks as a migration step in the journey. And all of that comes together to make quick start SD access with the idea of providing these multiple starting points to realize this goal of a modern, secure and automated network. Perfect, yeah. So uh, generally when dealing with customers, that's kind of the first thing that comes up with software defined access is that, um, you know, 95% of our customers today have, you know, long time established networks, brownfield environments, where they've got Catalyst 3Ks, 9Ks, uh, wireless LAN controllers, you know, routers, everything from ISR, ASR to the new CAT 8Ks. Um, has Cisco, you know, done a good job of ensuring that uh, the existing Cisco footprint within each of these customers is capable of maintaining or handling the, the kind of VXLAN topologies and um, additional requirements that a software-defined access requires? We sure did. Uh, and I believe the terminology <laughs> we did, we used was, was called in investment protection. So should you go way back to the genesis of SD access, uh, call it 2017, 2018 time period where you really um, started to see this um, on the public side. Um, we were really led at the time with, with CAT 3K, CAT 6K, and CAT 4K, and of course the, the, the ISR routers. So we baked in the, the VXLAN capabilities or the, the fabric capabilities into those devices, into the, the older generation hardware. And then of course we came out with the, the CAT 9Ks and the CAT 8Ks, which were purpose-built um, to support SD access and of course SD WAN as well uh, on the on the writing side. Yeah, which makes sense. And Jonathan, and how you would actually approach it? I mean, obviously you said that it might be old equipment. I mean, does it mean that we can reuse it, or we just need to invest in something else? And how we can start it? I mean, whether we need to go to access level and start switching the devices over there, or we need to start from the core, you know, or the strip level? How you will advise? Of course, keep in mind uh, the uh, less distributed option possible. You can actually, all the approaches that you mentioned 
all, all work. And it, it depends where you're at in your refresh cycle. What you could do is you could begin by automating your segmentation capabilities on your core and distribution switches and, and use your existing infrastructure, your, your existing 3Ks, 2Ks, maybe 6Ks if you had those at the access layer for some reason. And um, basically an idea that you could do is this. You take your, your core switch and you would make that into your SD access uh, border and control plane node. You take your distribution layer and you use that as your fabric edge. And I know just saying that might, might seem kind of strange because we're very used to associating the fabric edge with uh, the access layer. But in this case, what you can do is you put your fabric edge at the distribution layer and then you connect your access layer through, uh, through layer two. Um, and you can do that in, in two ways. You can either use, uh, and that's really dependent on your, on your equipment. If, if you've got CAT 9Ks down there already, Great, you can use our, our uh, Catalyst 9K as policy extended node feature. Um, if not, you can connect your external layer two domain, so it's external to the fabric, this layer two domain to your fabric infrastructure. So you can take your existing 2Ks and 3Ks and connect them layer two to your fabric edge there at the distribution layer, uh, distribution layer and have a, uh, a path to move forward. But Jonathan, I've seen I've seen that extended node before, but it was more around kind of the IE switches, the uh, you know industrial Ethernet switches, and the manufacturing side. Um, is that kind of uh, you know a capability that was built for a use, and now that the capability exists, the use has expanded to to kind of additional topologies and, and deployment methodologies, or was that always the thought moving forward? Is that we're going to you know, let's make sure that we can almost uh, build the, you know, layer two connection, almost like effects, just extend, um, you know, the management and configuration features down to that, despite not having layer three routing. So initially, and I say this because it's, it's written to the CVD today, if you were to go, uh, go look at it. Um, Read them daily. Read them yes. Daily. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you. Get that hit count up for me. So um, if, if, if you look at what we have today, the extended node use case is primarily around um, basically using the industrial Ethernet switches or, or the non-carpeted areas of, of your enterprise network. So that was initially how the feature came out um, because we were pushing uh, or the requirement at that point was layer three down to the access layer. Um, of course, extended node, they operate at layer two as it is. Um, does it have to be an IE device? No. So we've expanded that further to say, okay, we've we've made this capability possible with other equipment. So the Cat 9Ks in this case can be extended nodes, or actually in this case, policy extended nodes specifically. So yeah, this is a this is definitely expanded use case. So when you're talking about the extended nodes and the the policy extended nodes, um, what's what's the difference? What's why would I use one versus the other? I love that question. So if we think about uh, an extended node, so it's really in a question of, of where am I going to enforce my traffic? So in the case of an extended node, the enforcement point is my fabric edge. Um, in the case of a policy extended node, my enforcement point is going to be uh, the policy extended node itself. So the use case there is if I want to do east-west traffic enforcement across the same device, I really want to use a policy extended node and not a just traditional or classic extended node. So it's, it's some sort of fax in data centers. It, it, I, can see the, I can see the correlation there. Yeah, it's, it's, it, you can almost, that's a great way to think about the extended node. 
uh, just in general policy or otherwise policy or classic is that it's 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 essentially it, it, it's like a it's like a remote line card but yes it's actually it's its own independent device so it's at least in that case it's, it's managed through dna center it's not managed by its upstream upstream box yeah don't don't quick one about the wireless well obviously that a lot of customers uh, they have already wireless set up and running um is there any limitation or recommendation for the migration wireless to this access wireless wireless is interesting um and it, it depends on the hardware so the the very first thing that we want to do is 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 do i have a um 3504 5520 8540 or cat 9k from the wireless lane controller and then from an ap side it's uh, wave one and up so 27 37 1700 and then up from there so if you have the hardware in place then the question is what do i want to you know how do i want to move forward um the the coolest part i i think this is so cool that we we made this work the same wireless land controller can manage um a fabric network and a non-fabric network and the same ap can actually broadcast a fabric ssid or a non-fabric ssid so it gives you a lot of flexibility in in what you're doing the main consideration that you want to think about is that when i take a wireless land controller and i begin provisioning it in uh, cisco dna center it's going to touch config on that box and so that config that that's touched may or may not impact um, your your existing uh, configuration. It's just something you need to be aware of. Just like anything else, schedule a change window, test it, test it thoroughly before you go live. So, will you recommend to use DNA Center for everything, or um, or or maybe wireless LAN controller for you know legacy stuff and DNA for the new one? Once you've pulled it into DNA Center, you're going to want to use DNA Center itself. So there's there's a lot of capabilities in the design application of DNA Center to uh, to manage your wireless network. There really, really wouldn't be an, uh, a reason to move back to the, the WLC's GUI at all. So one of the things we've seen from when we're talking about, you know, having adequate hardware from a wireless perspective on a site, um, just want to make sure that we don't glaze over. So are, are you saying that having dedicated uh, LAN controller hardware on per site is a recommended design or are there other capabilities that we can utilize to, you know, enable that. So whether it be um, like a WLC function within the 9K, something like that, how does that work? And just to repeat your, 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 your question back to you, just so I understand, you don't necessarily need dedicated to do fabric and non-fabric. You can have a WLC that does both. But I think your specific question, if I understood it, is do I need a wireless LAN controller per fabric site? Yes or no? Is that correct? Can I use a centralized wireless LAN controller for my entire SDA deployment? Right? Yeah. Each each fabric site is going to have its own uh, wireless LAN controller. So a fabric site is basically um, border node, control plane nodes, uh, fabric edges, the access points, Generally, you're going to have a policy service node from ICE and then a WLC. And your question is, what form factor can that WLC be? And you've got a lot of different options. Of course, uh, all the physical options, the virtual option, so uh, Catalyst 9800CL. And then, um, depending on the number of APs and the number of users that you have, you can take the wireless link controller and you can embed it um, as a software package on the Cat9K switches. 
So we see that uh, we see that deploy quite frequently, um, either in remote or branch locations, smaller locations. I don't have the scale um, offhand, although it is on the DNA Center data sheet. If you want to cross-reference that, so how about as we kind of talk about coming in and deploying this into environments, you've got existing gear. Where does this play with non-Cisco gear, or maybe if I've got something that's that's older, it's not a thirty-six fifty, thirty-eight fifty. What if I've got a you know something archaic? Are we are we still able to use that as extended nodes and let the let all the enforcement happen upstream? Not as an extended node. So what what makes an extended node is that it's a particular uh, it's a particular piece of hardware that that's supported for that function, and then it is automated. Uh, fully through through DNA Center, but what you're looking to do is essentially I have this ex- this external network I need to connect to my fabric. What do I do? And that is what we call an external layer two switching domain connected to our fabric edge. That's a, that's a it's very wordy, but external to the fabric connected to the fabric edge, and it's connected with a a, a layer two trunk port or layer two ether channel, hopefully. Um, and at that point, you've got basically the, the, the full option. It can be third party. It can be Cisco. Um, either way, I think about that almost like a, a multi-tenant sort of environment, but I realize the same thing might happen in a single tenant environment. Um, so the, in that case, depending on what your, your fabric edge could be your access layer, or it might be your, your distribution layer, depending on what you're doing, depending on if it's migration or if it's multi-tenant. And then, um, then you connect your external layer two switching domain to that. And uh, actually we, we have a paper coming out soon that, ex- that explains how that works and, uh, and the steps involved. Been writing that for the last, uh, last, last couple weeks. When's that come out, Jonathan, just to put you on a timestamp? <laughs> I, know, I know it comes out internally. I, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm not so, so sure on the, the public. I would uh, second half calendar year 20, or as we call it, Q, Q4, uh, fiscal year 2021, <laughs> or Q20, yeah. Yeah. Actually, so that's, that's so before, before the end of July of this year. <laughs> yes. Hopefully sooner. Yeah. Cisco's fiscal quarters uh, tend to mess with my head, but uh, it's better than most of your competitors, <laughs> which are like odd months. So the, the idea behind that paper is to, to specifically answer your question. Okay. I've got this. I, I've, I, I've got this equipment. Cisco third party, I don't know, and I need to connect it to my fabric, and I need it to, I need to be able to have my fabric communicate with it. And um, to, to answer, I actually didn't answer fully your question. What the enforcement point would be from a from an SCT perspective, that enforcement, of course, is going to be at the at the edge node. So it's not going to be east west across that that uh, layer two device. The only way to achieve that is going to be by using a policy extended node, which is going to require specific hardware. Because you have to be able to enforce uh, security group tags. Could you do SXP or something like that to that layer two node? It is potentially feasible. I think it is. I'm just here to throw fringe use cases at you. No, it's, um, it's not, not to dig. That are validated. Yeah, not to not to dig too deep into that one um, by any means. But uh, before, when you kind of were going through the intro of software defined access and and what components make it up. Um, the one piece that you spoke to that that I think maybe gets uh, you know swept under the bus a little bit is kind of the granular visibility that comes with an assurance. 
Um, and I know that there's some other products in the portfolio that uh, may or may not integrate into this one in particular stealth watch that, you know, is a really good NetFlow network visibility tool. Does that have any benefit within the overall uh, viewpoint of DNA center and software defined access? It does. Yes, it does. Uh, and of course, stealth watch, Stealthwatch is such a great tool. If, if you want to see, I like to hear the internal see. fanboying too, Jonathan. <laughs> I really appreciate that the passion that comes from that. Well, I, I I'm not just telling you this because it's my job to tell you this. It's uh, I I've been working with Stealthwatch since I was on on the partner side, and I was going through the um, the the Fire Jumper uh, boot camp stuff, and I I encountered stealth watch and i went man this is super cool i can't believe you can see all this stuff on the network and then i was like oh man i can't believe i can see all this stuff on the network <laughs> so um stealth watch as a product is is awesome and it it does integrate with with dna center today but let me kind of give you an idea at least as the ecosystem stands today about how all of this comes together um Stealthwatch gives you visibility. That visibility is then fed into ICE. ICE can then make a decision based on that. So that's kind of, that's rapid threat containment 101. That's capability that we've, we've had for some time. But really today we're talking about SD access. Um, what DNA Center does today in terms of integration is it will help push the NetFlow configuration that needs to go onto the device so that uh, it can uh, communicate with Stealthwatch. And then from there, we have a couple different capabilities that we're, that we're using. Um, one is uh, what we call group-based policy analytics, and the other is endpoint analytics. So let me just walk you through those uh, really, really quickly. Um, group-based policy analytics is a way of looking at my group-to-group um, -group communication, and it, it uses a lot of different pieces. It uses Stealthwatch host groups. It uses DNA Center and it uses the ICE scalable groups. So basically it's a visual way in DNA Center to see, for example, that my water control system is talking to my lighting system, which probably shouldn't be happening and it's probably something that I need to investigate. Um, the other piece we have that's endpoint analytics is, and the way I want you to think about this is device uh, profiling on steroids. So you may be familiar with device profiling. We use that with, with MAB or MAC authentication bypass. It helps us secure the network uh, better than just using a MAC address. So endpoint analytics uh, takes it one step further. We get uh, device type, we get hardware model, we get hardware manufacturer, and then we get the OS, the operating system. And we can see all of that in the DNA Center UI. And then a couple clicks later, we can see the groups that are associated with that and how they're communicating with each other. Um, so the idea here is that if you have the information in front of you, if you know what's on your network, then you can use that information to glean what type of policy rules that you have. I, I remember I was doing a, a proof of concept for, uh, for a customer, and we were looking at some things, and we found a PlayStation 2 on their network. We are just going through, looking at the, the output, and I was like, do you have a PlayStation 2 on your network? And they said no, and so we dug in a little bit deeper and we looked at some of the data, and they said, you know what, I gotta go. I need to go uh, figure out what's going on. Um, so that's the kind of, you know, it's, it's interesting the types of things that people find on their networks, and um, once you have that, you can make your network more secure, which is really kind of the intent of this whole thing. 
Well, yeah, I think usually the first fire back that I'd always get when we started talking about that one X authentication was, oh, well, you have to enable Mac address bypass or, or MAB just because, you know, uh, there's a slew of devices that are non-AD capable. So say printers, for example. Um, and so the first thing to to kind of bypass that one X authentication was pull the, uh, you know, Ethernet jack out of the wall that the, that the uh, printers set up to plug your laptop in and then spoof your the MAC address of the printer and all of a sudden you're you've got network access, et cetera, et cetera. So if I understand correctly, this is almost like a direct uh fireback on that on that type of um security loophole where instead of you know me just getting in just because my Mac was spoofed off of the sticker on the back of the, the printer, you can now see the fact that no, it actually is a HP laptop and it's got, you know, Windows 7 OS and, and stuff like that. You can shut it down. Um is there any type of uh, kind of automated, or I hate to use the term AI, but like a machine learned uh, baselining versus uh, irregular traffic flows, um, notification or actionable insight? So the, the capability as it stands today is, is, is visibility. So right now it, it, it is still the, the responsibility of the, the administrator to, to correlate that data and figure out how to, how to how to use it to make better rules, make better policy. Of course, I uh, can't talk about roadmap, but you can just take from that what, uh, what, what types of, we, the, the need is well understood about how we would like to take that information and, and do, do more with it. Um, what I would like to respond to though is on your, your earlier question uh, about you know spoofing the printer. And I, I, I do wanna say that Defense in depth was the, that used to be the, the tagline from our security standpoint, you know, the, the, the marketing nature of our security going back a couple of years, but it's still true today. So it's not just that, you know, MAP's not sufficient. It, it's really not. Um, you want to use that, the principle of, of least privilege. So even if you're, even if I can spoof and get onto the network, that what I can actually access is, is very, very limited. And then you take these additional tools like endpoint analytics um, to, to see specifically what that device is and what it's trying to do. So since we're talking endpoint analytics and network monitoring and all sorts of other Cisco products, um, Thousand Eyes, let's, let's get your, get your fanboy out first. Tell us how great Thousand Eyes is. And then, um, you know, is that something where a, from a, a policy standpoint, I'm, I, I guess I would presume that that's something, you know, with the, uh, Thousand Eyes being the enterprise agents being available with nine Ks now, I presume that that's something we can even if we're running DNA and SD access, we'd still have visibility. We could still use Thousand Eyes, see see all that same stuff. Yes. Now I you say the fanboy. I've not yet yet gotten the the chance to play with it. I've I've, I've got uh, I, I've got some new equipment on order. I'm just waiting on it to come in to 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 try it out. Um. I don't know if, I, I don't believe, I need to double check if it's actually been validated for SD access. So keep in mind, SD access is a solution. So we have a bunch of moving parts. And when we add a new moving part, we want to make sure that it plays well with everything else. And then it's been thoroughly tested and verified and validated. That process may still be happening with um, the TE agent on Cat 9K. I would need to get back to you to see where we're at today. Um, obviously, you know where we're going with it. It's clear that it's going to, it's going to be there one day perhaps by the time this recording comes out. Um, and, you know, interestingly, I'll, I'll just be blunt. I, some of the, the, 
the um, Thousand Eyes features, I'd always thought about Thousand Eyes as just a way to look at the BGP table on the internet. That was my view of it until, uh, until we acquired it. I went, oh my goodness, this does so much more. So the idea is, is what if I can do, um, you know, we have built-in tools like IPLSLA uh, that kind of tells us we can look at the, the, the quality or the state of, of our network and how well it's doing. Well, what if we could run some sort of actual functional test between device A and device B and not that not on the switch itself, but from the perspective of like almost the endpoint to see what might you know what the quality of the network is, and that's really where I see uh, Thousand Eyes going. Yeah, guys, so many products to just bring the visibility. Well, I'm just saying just, but it's not really that easy. So we will see each and you know each bit and byte on the network. That's really great. Um, Ronson, I have um, a question in, in regards in general, like SD access solution. I mean, in, 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 um, in current situation of pandemic and you know, that a lot of people just working outside and I believe a lot of companies will be moving towards more and more remote, uh, type of work. Um, what would be the um, benefits or selling points for this SD access? How, how do you see that? In, in an environment where you have a hybrid workforce partially remote, yeah. partially in the office yep that's it's such a great question it's something i've actually been really exploring uh for the last couple of weeks uh myself thinking about man what does this what does this look like and um really the what's interesting and i'm, I'm going to pull the conversation a little bit outside of sd access and, and just talk about you know enterprise networking or the intent-based networking group that we have as, as a whole so if we start to tie in the, the Cisco SD-WAN solution to this. So imagine um, that, I, like for me, the way I connect it to um, the internet is I have a, a small router that sits right here beside my desk and it has a head end um, in one of the Cisco offices. I plug my laptop into it, I plug my phone into it, I plug my telepresence unit into it, and it's like I'm sitting in the office. We call that a CVO, Cisco Virtual Office is our fun name for it. So what happens if that router is SD-WAN capable? And if it's SD-WAN capable, if it can, um, if it is capable of enforcing TrustSec as well. So what we have is the ability for me to come in, sit down, plug in, I get a tag, I get a group, uh, a group segmentation applied to my traffic, and then that tunnels back to the head end location and can communicate with the on-premises that might be using SD access as well. Does that make sense? Yep. If only we could put pull up a drawing right now. That's a problem with podcasts. Uh, it's it's not very uh, conducive to pulling up a Vizio. <laughs> Indeed. So just let, draw it in the air. <laughs> let's say I have my yeah. uh, my my head end location is the SD access network. Okay, so the folks that are sitting in the office are in an SDSS network. And so they have group and uh, and network segmentation or macro and micro segmentation just happening just because they're there. Now I'm at home, I sit down and I want to make it seem like I'm actually in the office. Well, I, I need the same, uh, I need my policy to follow me no matter where I'm at. Uh, to do that, I just need a device that's capable of, of applying that policy. So I, I have a, SD, a Cisco SD-WAN router that that, that tags me when I connect to the network. It carries that tag across the SD-WAN infrastructure. 
which of course is connected to my SDA infrastructure. I'm just carrying the packet A to B and I still have that policy to um, uh, apply to my traffic so it can be enforced at the destination point to either allow me or not allow me to communicate with resources. So this, this snapshot in time that we're in, you know, May of 21, that we're all still kind of working from our home offices, Cisco's brought the home office or the office to our home. Yeah, yeah that's nice methodology. I like it. All right, folks. Well, this has been another informative episode of Cisco Champion Radio. Thank you so much for listening in today. And a special thank you to our guests and Cisco Champions for being a part of today's episode. If you want to learn more about today's topic, just click on the link provided in the description below. And just a reminder, you could subscribe to Cisco Champion Radio on your favorite streaming platform and receive alerts on our latest releases. So wherever you're listening to us, make sure to hit that subscribe or follow button now. I hope you all enjoyed today's episode. See you next Monday.